This episode of What the Sust podcast discusses depression, anxiety, grief, and many more subjects. If you're struggling with these issues or these are sensitive to you, listener discretion is advised. Climate change got you down. Are you worried about the environment in the future? Yeah, us too. Hello and welcome back to another episode of What the Sust. We are a podcast by students for students and presented by the College of Sustainability at Dalhousie University. My name is Jordan and I'll be one of your hosts for this week. And I'm Kimmy and I'll be your other host. This week we're talking about eco-grief and eco-anxiety. We're going to cover what they are, discuss our own experiences, especially as sustainability students, and we're going to go over some resources if you're struggling. Yeah. So first, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what eco-grief is? Yeah, sure. So eco-grief is... It comes generally from like three different areas, generally grief from physical loss of like biodiversity or different areas of like literal biomass that is no longer there. Sometimes it's loss from environmental knowledge, especially for indigenous folk where the landscape has changed so much that all of your knowledge doesn't apply anymore. And then there's also like land change and loss of integrity. And what about eco-anxiety? So eco-anxiety is akin to eco-grief, but it has a pretty significant distinction where instead of mourning, it's more like feeling of an impending doom for the future and just being anxious about the potential loss rather than what is already lost. So they go hand in hand and kind of come at the same time generally, but there is that distinction there. Right. So they're different in that one focuses a little more on the future and one focuses a little more on the past. Yeah, 100%. And then when we were doing some research on this episode, we were talking about how climate change is continuous, whereas the grief of losing a loved one, not that you only experience it once, but your loved one is only going to pass one time rather yeah. than climate change which happens over and over and over yeah we kind of realized that it was instead of like a one-time event that caused grief climate change is such a long standing problem and such a continuous problem that it's like a continuous grief and that i can understand why people get overwhelmed because there's literally always new things popping up more things to mourn so like i i totally understand people falling (laughs) into pits of despair (laughs) yeah totally and then maybe we should talk about a couple of the other reactions to environmental crisis like is this the only way that we're dealing with it is everybody gonna feel grief and anxious or are there other there's there's definitely other ways of how people react to it and generally it's they, uh, they get that information of, like, a terrible event and you either understand and you process it or you have a different kind of mental shield where you either avoid, you rationalize, or you deny to cope mentally. So, like, this was something, especially in 
the earlier times when climate change was being discussed, when it was all doom and gloom and science communication wasn't quite there yet, where people were kind of forced to take this method because it, it was just too overwhelming. <laughs> so avoidance was like just completely dissociating and just avoiding those feelings completely and those thoughts completely. Right. Rationalization was like making yourself really small and like, oh, I, I shouldn't even bother because what can little old me do? Where just you rationalize that like there's no point on your part, which is not necessarily true, but anyway. <laughs> and then there's like denial where, which I find is more so for uh, richer countries and richer places where they say, oh yeah, you know, climate change will, will affect other people, will affect less wealthy people, people of underdeveloped countries. Like it's not going to affect me, like I'll be fine, which also isn't necessarily true yeah and then also denial could be like the excitement that for example today I think it's like seven degrees and it's January we're filming this on January 25th so maybe there are people out there who are like well it's really not that bad like Mm. we love this sunny weather but this is really reminding me of the five stages of grief Um, which was coined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a Swiss-American psychiatrist, and they came up with these five stages, which, if you don't know, um, also include denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I think we see that a lot as students, too. So Yeah, I find that a lot of people think it's also linear when you can, like, you can really bounce around them, like... There is no full path. It just kind of bops around. Exactly. <laughs> and it really depends on what class we're taking that day. Like, sometimes I feel the bargaining and I'm like, well, if I do this, then maybe climate change will get better. And then I take a different class and I'm just angry. <laughs> <laughs> but then when we're talking about denial, too, I think of our parents' generation where they're like, well, it's really not that bad. Like, we're not seeing it happen. They don't think that global warming is really Mm -hmm. a valid concern because it's not warm out we're still getting snow which is definitely a contradiction to what I just said earlier but I think they're starting to see it in our generation yeah it reminds me of that congressman that brought a snowball indoors and was like climate change isn't happening there's still snow and it's like (laughs) that's not the point we're like The dangers of climate change generally is in the extremes, not in the moderates, where you end up pushing those extremes and then more extremes happen and it's just, it gets more and more volatile. So it's it's not necessarily a, oh, we're going to have less snow and it'll be great. It's more of like a cold snaps happen and this is dangerous and kills people. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, And then... I don't know do you also feel angry is that part of your yeah like honestly it's to the point where I'm I can only really get angry if it catches me by surprise and I'm so not surprised anymore that I've just I've let a lot of that anger go (laughs) yeah I think that it really goes hand in hand with what we're talking about today because there are times when I am so angry about the way that we're treating the planet But we're also Mm. sustainability students, so this is part of our everyday life. We're always talking about this. Mm -hmm. There's always something in the news or something that our classmates bring out. So it's 
it's a little difficult to be caught off guard, but I think that's when the anger can really streamline into grief. Yeah. A great example of that would be like Greta Thunberg, where she just said, okay, no, screw that. I'm going to protest. I'm going to do the exact thing that politicians tell students to do, which is stay in school. So I'm going to skip school and protest. Yeah. And I love her generation for that, too, because I always think of the quote, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Mm. Um, Clearly, Greta is she's paying attention. Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) But let's jump to acceptance for a little bit, because that doesn't have to be the thought that climate change is going to happen. There's nothing we can do. We just have to accept it. We have to, you know, learn to dress cool in the summer (laughs) and learn to dress really, really warm in the winter. We don't have to accept that it's going to be this way. For me, acceptance is going to school to learn about sustainability. Mm. I'm accepting that, yeah, climate change is an inevitable part of the future, but there's also a lot that we can do about it now. What do you think? Yeah, like, I find that for some people that feel so helpless, their version of acceptance is very nihilistic, where it just becomes this, it doesn't matter anyway, I accept that the world is going to burn and crash and die, (laughs) and everything is terrible, and they just... Like, that's that's their acceptance, and then they do whatever they want because it's their way of, of coping, which I do not recommend. Right. Honestly, because it goes hand-in-hand hand with, like, getting absolutely depressed. Yeah, so maybe our piece of advice for people listening or for future generations is that your acceptance in the grief process is accepting responsibility for change accepting (laughs) that it can happen but it does not necessarily need to be the end-all be-all and that you know we can at least try exactly now we should probably talk about who is most impacted by eco grief and eco anxiety we did mention our parents generation and those who were studying climate change and grief um Mm -hmm. in the sort of early days of when it used to be called global warming. But I did a little bit of research um, and found that the World Forum states that 67% of people aged 18 to 23 feel that climate change affects their mental health. That's a huge number. That's crazy. And that's a lot of people too. And that's a really young demographic. Exactly. Wow. Like I knew that, that like our generation had a lot more depression and anxiety and all the other goodies, but 67% is huge. And I wonder too if it's part of social media and how we engage with the information that we're finding too. Like it always has to have that shock factor Hmm. when it's on social media. So maybe, maybe it's being taken out of context, but it is a a very real reality. Mm -hmm. You always have to take the news with a grain of salt because they... They make their money off of inflaming stories. <laughs> exactly. And it is interesting to to click on those articles that say mm-hmm. something inflammatory or something that you're like, wait, what? The Amazon mm-hmm. is going to be no longer as of <laughs> what year is it now? Yeah, got 3% to go. But anyway, we'll cover <laughs> that in a, later. I'll talk about it. 
And then when I was taking a look at who is most affected, I did come across a review of the mental health impacts of the awareness of climate change, and they did reiterate that it's young people that suffer the most. And the authors of the article mentioned that children and youth feel fear, anger, hopelessness, and sadness as they become aware of climate change and its consequences. Mm-hmm. However, worry and hope were the two emotions that were most reported in the selected articles. And that sentence really stood out to me because hope is also included in that um, study of mental health and anxiety. It's interesting that that feeling of uh, positivity when mm. it comes to climate change is so prevalent, especially when we're talking about things like anxiety and grief, where we're a little mm-hmm. bit upset. But these kids are starting to have hope that maybe things are going to get better. Yeah, I'm glad that's changing because I find that a lot of the times when we were bringing the subject to children, we there there was a very there's a very interesting balance between not overwhelming them because like kids have underdeveloped brains. We know this. <laughs> so there's a there's a gap where children don't quite have the ability to separate things that are happening right in front of them or big issues they have trouble like stepping away from that so I'm really glad that it's going more into hope and less hopelessness because at the end of the day I like I want to support kids and help them be part of the solution without just making them feel horrible. Exactly. And <laughs> just, we are oh. some of the first graduating students from the sustainability program at Dallas. It was started less than 10 years ago. Yeah, it's really new. It's really new. And we want more. We don't want this episode to be um, a total bummer. Exactly. We want, <laughs> <laughs> we want more people to get involved in sustainability. We love the community that uh, can happen around that. But we're not kids. So. <laughs> we are adults. We're adults. So maybe we should talk about our own experiences, especially as sustainability students um, with eco-anxiety and eco-grief. Do mm-hmm. you think it's affected your mental health as a student? Oh, 100%. So take me in high school. I was kind of like more on like the denial side where I was really, really avoidant and... I was a little bit more like how my mom was, where it was like, oh, scientists will fix it because they surely won't let this go too badly. And, like, what can a 16-year-old in the Middle East do? Like, there was really not many options for me. Right. And then eventually that turned into anger as a teenager because what teenager isn't angry? But, (laughs) like, the anger was mostly towards, like companies that don't seem to do enough to help the planet and like harm the environment which I view as a harm on life and a harm on me so yeah. I was like I was I was taking it a little personally as you should <laughs> yeah and so like to cope I would like spitefully not buy from them <laughs> which is a weird thing to do <laughs> yeah and so coming into university it was more so the depression side where To give you an example, this is what upset me most recently, where the entire world is in a huge, is in an enormous biodiversity crisis. Oh no. To the point where scientists are like, maybe we should be in a new era. Like, generally, eras are marked by different things. Right. 
So, and a lot of the times a big extinction event will trigger like, oh yeah, we should call it something different because everything flipped on its head. And so they kind of want to call it the Anthropocene, which is like a new era marked by human-made mass extinction. Right. Anthro being human. So like, to give you an example, the relative abundance of populations around the globe of like animals and stuff, so that's birds, reptiles, animals, has declined by 69% between 1970 to 2018, I believe. That's not even that long ago. No, it's it's really alarming <laughs> as, an ecolo- as an aspiring ecologist. And to skip over a bunch of other stuff, the other thing that really upset me was that when it comes to the Amazon as a rainforest, because you know it's like we have the two lungs of the earth, we have the Amazon rainforest, and then we have the sheer amount of plankton in the ocean, which is ridiculous to think about that just like a bunch of tiny plants in the ocean are making a lot (laughs) of oxygen. But it's true. But like we are very close to the Amazon collapsing entirely that's so sad i know and from what i understand the expansion of agriculture generally for beef and agriculture to feed that beef because you need a lot of food to feed the cow to make the beef for people to eat what a weird cycle too right Uh, it's it's a whole different it's a whole different thing of like how we need to completely change our agricultural system and there's like companies like Oberland in Halifax here that raise black soldier flies to switch out like the protein sources for animals like chickens and like pets, which is a way less intensive than feeding chicken grains and stuff. So like they're okay. like My they're dog really loves starting bugs. Yeah. <laughs> like like it's the work is being put in. It's just like we just need to really ramp it up. But yeah. To get back to the Amazon The expansion of agriculture has caused 17% of the Amazon to be lost to food and cattle. Okay, that is rough. But if if it reaches to 20 to 25%, because the rainforest in and of itself supports its own ecosystem, it's not the climate. It is the sheer amount of water being pumped into the air, and there's like literal floating rivers. If there's not enough of that water being pumped up into the atmosphere of the Amazon, it, it can't sustain itself. And so if we reach that 20 to 25% of loss, it could genuinely collapse. And that those are estimates. Right. So we need to keep that in perspective. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that could be 3% conservatively. Three more percent. That is terrifying. And if we think too about... A few years ago when they were saying, we can't get past another two degrees of increase in temperature. <laughs> we certainly surpassed that. So Yeah, those, the 1.5. Yeah, those numbers yeah. seem really, really small, but it yeah. takes such a quick amount of time to surpass. And yeah, we won't be able to get back to where we need to be. Not in our lifetime, which is like I've kind of accepted after a lot of like self-reflection and being really upset accepted that we're that as as humanity in my personal opinion this might not be yours and you don't have to take this opinion as yourself (laughs) for yourself but just that I myself is have 
reconciled with the fact that we're probably not going to keep it under 1.5 and we're probably going to hit two degrees as a global temperature, just in case you weren't quite sure what I was talking about, like a global average temperature. Right. Which causes a slew of different issues, but we don't really exactly have time to go into that. (laughs) But so like for me, part of that acceptance is we are going to hit it, but that doesn't mean that I cannot try to help and try to fix it. And even if it's just one person, even if it's one animal, it'll be enough. And making the bar in hell makes it a lot easier to do something about it. Yeah, we really need to set the bar low and just do little changes. Yeah, because... Keep going. Asking to remove all the plastic from the ocean... That's just silly. ...is enormous. <laughs> and, like, hats off to the like the the ocean cleanup project that, like, started as a 16-year-old with an idea. <laughs> like, hats off. But, like, for most of us, me included... Like, it needs to start small because otherwise it feels impossible. And so, like, yeah, I end up with with those two conflicting ideas in my head with acceptance where you get the nihilism where it's just like, spend money, do what you enjoy, everything is meaningless. And then on the other hand, I have, like, the doomsday preparing, which is, like, save money for emergencies, restrict my behavior. We need to try. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, it's just... Two different sides. <laughs> Those sides, though, are so interesting because when I was in high school, I, so I graduated in 2011, we never spoke about climate change. We still called it global warming. Dang. I don't think, mind you, I was not a science student. I was more of an arts and English student, but we never spoke about climate change. We never spoke about recycling. Like, I don't remember recycling in high school. And maybe this is just where I grew up, or maybe these ideas are outdated, or I'm just not remembering correctly, but Mm. those people in my graduating class, we didn't really know about sustainability. That was not a word that I had heard growing up, and when I tell people what I'm going to school for, I really have to do a lot of explaining and say what sustainability means and what it is. So it's interesting that you have a very, like, a scientific-backed... experience related to grief and anxiety well my background is in like biology and sustainability right so part of me with just what I'm learning we can't we can't get away from it we can't help it because especially since I really like conservation and I really like ecology that is like right in the crux of biodiversity loss and how do we bring them back and how do we work with indigenous peoples so then it's you know we have them at the table also like like I can't I can't get away from the bio side being a bio student (laughs) so I'm a sociology major um and I think more about the future for people Hmm. um for example myself and a lot of my friends are in that age range where they're starting to think about having children and climate change is definitely something that I consider when I think about whether or not I want to bring children into this world Mm -hmm. it's so hot in the summer I like where are they gonna work a lot of the jobs that I had as a kid were either outside 
um, mm-hmm. or just like doing chores around the house. Yeah, and, like being a cashier at an ice cream store kind exactly, of thing. Exactly. Or like camp counselor. And, like, What are they supposed to do? And are we going to have enough space to have houses to, mm-hmm. to house everyone? Are we going to have enough space to grow all of the food that we need so that people are fed? Like you were talking about the beef production in the Amazon. We're, yeah. we're getting rid of the Amazon so that we can put cattle... <laughs> so we can feed it to the, all of the people that are supposed to be on the planet in the next couple of years. Thankfully, the food issue is a lot simpler than a few others. Like, not to mean that it is simple. It is absolutely not simple. It is a colossal task. But it's a matter of, like, if it were just about getting food into people's mouths a lot of the times all we would need to do is change how we transport and how we move food around and how we produce. Right. Because we have such an enormous waste, it would just be a how do we reduce waste? How do we convince people to just take the ugly courgette? Right. (laughs) Like, not all of them have to be perfect. Like, not all of them have to meet a ridiculous standard of perfection. Just like there's that one, that one is a little easier, but I I agree for the rest where at this point, global housing crises and the climate being how it is, it is concerning as people who want to have kids of just like, am I setting my children up for failure just by having them in the world as it is the way it is now? Yeah, and I think about money a lot as well. Like, are we going to be able to afford these food products that are Mm. on... Like, for example, I went to the grocery store yesterday, and a quart of strawberries is $7.99. What is it going to be when I have children, and what is it going to be for for them when they grow up, too? Mm. And then I think about grief, too. I think about anxiety and grief in two very separate categories, because I am an adult student I came at this a bit older um so I really Mm. do see the difference in the environment um for example we did mention earlier that today is January 25th we're recording um and I think it's six degrees outside there should be a foot of snow at a minimum I remember going tobogganing every weekend I remember trudging to school in the snow uphill both ways as my parents would say um but that's not the reality of how the weather is now so I'm seeing a difference Mm. in that honestly Um, even just five years ago I remember more slush and I'm sad that younger generations are not going to have that same experiences mm-hmm. um and then there's also the loss of ecology that i see i i understand that we need more housing we need more libraries we need in- infrastructure um, like hospitals and schools but i also see a potential for environmental conservation areas mm-hmm. it, it, it's sad to see an area um, that you were used to being a, an open field or a meadow um, mm-hmm. or a forest just be taken down and turned into a, a highway. That's that's really sad to see. And I know we need it, but... Honestly, yeah. Like, even... So, like, I'm originally from Edmonton, right? Mm-hmm. And so even my parents 
they'll be like showing me around because I don't really know Edmonton all that well. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, this used to be so-and-so's farm and, like, this used to be that and, like, the woods used to be here. And then it's, like, a totally developed area. And I'm like, this has changed so much and expanded so much in such a short amount of time. And then my grandparents will do kind of the same thing. And it's just like, how much sprawl has happened? <laughs> like, right. there's a lot of construction. We're going to pick up where we left off after the break. Have you heard of the Youth Climate Lab? They are a Canada-based, global nonprofit organization of youth mobilizing youth to create just, climate-resilient features. They're putting on an art exhibit called Worried Earth, Eco-Anxiety and Entangled Grief. It's a lovely art exhibit, and if you'd like to visit, it opens Saturday 4th of February from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Port Logina Gallery at NASCAD Port Campus. That's 1107 Marginal Road near the Seaport Market. We hope to see you there. Wait, what? We need to turn to the positive. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to feel better? What is the next move? How do we put a positive spin on this? Because with the perpetual cycleness of climate grief there's a way that you don't necessarily need to let it consume you and there's like there's ways to handle that so my personal favorite is productive anger oh i like the sound of that (laughs) yes and so it's generally people flipping the proverbial table and putting their foot down and saying no and they use that anger to fuel them to act on injustices so it's where a lot of um movements come from and just protests come from where it's it's it it generally sparks activism where they don't just wallow they they decide to really do something about it so they they let that anger fuel them Mm -hmm. yeah i really like that one and there's also active hope So Active Hope is a book, and if you're not opposed to more, like, spiritual-sided kind of reflection and help, I highly recommend it. It's a really cool book. But at the core of it, it's mainly just about daily practice. It, It starts really, really small, and those decisions compound over time, where um, if you decide to let's say, reduce, do like a self-waste audit and then find ways to reduce your own waste. Or even if it's even smaller than that and it's bringing your your reusable cup to second cup or something. Right. Like, it's a way to use that kind of bargaining where like at least I'm doing something and then let that snowball into something bigger and bigger and bigger and learn and learn and more. And it it generally helps people feel a little bit more grounded and not to just hold on to every, all of the negative emotions, but more so let it pass through you and fuel you. Right. And I find it's, it's really productive. Yeah. So essentially you're just picking up new little habits that you can do every day. And then you just keep adding more and more. They say it takes 21 days to build a habit. So if you bring your reusable cup, 
to the coffee shop for 21 days, then it's already a habit. It's already something you do. Then you can start mm-hmm. adding one more thing and one more thing. Yeah, I really like it. So if you're if you're up for a read, I recommend the book. It's called Active Hope. So I'm also curious about more local types because, like, that was really general. So, like, <laughs> if you're living in Halifax and you're listening to this, what can they do to... I guess, not just feel better, but do better. Right. So I have a list of a couple resources here for listeners if they're feeling anxious or overwhelmed um, by the state of the climate. Um, And I know that not all of our listeners are students, so I wanted to talk about a couple local resources to Halifax. Um, The first one we want to shout out is The Tear Shop, run by Kate Pepler, who is a graduate of the ESS program at Dalhousie. Um, And we can't believe how well she's doing for herself. My goodness, I have so much respect for her. Yeah. Um, Now, this isn't specific to eco-grief, but The Tear Shop, which is a local low-waste shop in Halifax, host events like clothing swaps and yoga classes so it is a place where you can go and meet like-minded individuals and these events are posted on their website as well as their instagram couple a month um so if you have the capacity and you have the time to go to these meetups or um, clothing swaps or these classes then it would be a really good opportunity for some of you to make some new friends and to have conversations about the environment and the next one is for those of you who maybe not in Halifax um, but there are plenty of Facebook groups Facebook is not um, many a tool that I thought of um, but when I started doing research for this episode there are plenty of groups Mm -hmm. on Facebook um, specific to your city Um, I looked up a couple of cities that I've lived in previously and there are Um, climate anxiety related groups Um, it would also be a great place to meet others and just have like casual conversations Um, and then it's a little less low commitment than it is to go all the way to a class especially if you're not on like on a low budget um, and going out and spending money is not something you can necessarily do and as well as Facebook the Halifax Public Libraries also host plenty of events and they are also listed on the Halifax Public Library website. Uh, For example, there is a seminar on identifying anxiety in children on February 1st. Mm -hmm. That might be interesting for some of you um, who have children, especially that are dealing with eco-anxiety. And then as a couple other examples, there are meetups for newcomers to Nova Scotia. And I did see a couple of movie nights on there as well, which sounds kind of cool. And finally, there is the Access Open Minds um, Community Center. There are plenty of these across Canada, um, and it is meant to aid people who are having a hard time with their mental health, especially for youth. Um, And their website says that Access Open Minds service sites provide an easy, quick, and welcoming place for youth aged 11 to 23, which is right in that age range that we talked about earlier. Oh, yeah, it is. Who are uh, struggling with climate anxiety. 
Um, but it says it is a place for them to get the help that they need. All sites provide culturally relevant mental health services as well as access to physical and sexual health services. Um, and Dang. they do a lot that is geared towards youth mental health um, for Indigenous youth. And plenty of those centers are on um, First Nations reserves or um, land. Yeah. And there are, I think I mentioned this, but there are locations all over Canada and you can find one near you. At the end of the day, it's really important to reach out to other people that are feeling the same thing. I'm going to use a really Gen Z term, but to like validate those feelings and to share those feelings and to feel it with other people. Because mm-hmm. like feeling like it's only you sucks, but it doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. And if you are a Dalhousie student, Dalhousie actually has over 250 societies. That's a crazy number. I didn't know that we had that many societies. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. I kind of already knew that, but damn, 250. Oh, oh my God. And there are plenty <laughs> that are geared towards specific interests. Not all of them are eco-related, of course. Um, but if you follow Dal Sust Life, on Instagram. They have sustainability related groups and activities that you can go to. They also host clothing swaps and movie nights and mixers. Mm-hmm. Um, as an example, this will have already happened by the time this episode airs, but they're showing um, something in the water produced by Ingrid Waldron. Amazing. Amazing. A great film. Add it um, to your watch list. And there's also the Thursday Night Lecture Series. It is running online this year, um, Mm -hmm. but you can go back and watch all of the lectures that happened in previous years, I believe up to Mm -hmm. a year ago. Um, And essentially the Thursday Night Lecture Series is a group of local people or people who have a vested interest in sustainability talking about Um, their experience especially in the workforce and a lot Mm. of them are are super interesting some of them honestly were so eye-opening for me Mm -hmm. like I had never heard of fast fashion before and all of the issues associated to it and then when I saw that like ESS lecture on it my mind was blown and like immediately was like okay I need to slow down slow down on buying new materials and like some of them are just they're really amazing. I yeah. Especially the one about right whales, highly recommend. Yeah, there was one last year that I had no idea that blockchain and cryptocurrency had any sort of association with environmental mm-hmm. um, issues, but it does. Um, so if that's something that you're interested in, you can always connect that to sustainability. And there is a lecture on the website um, that you can go back and listen to. Finally, there used to be an eco-grief group at Dalhousie, but the person who created it and led it has since graduated. Um, so if you wanted to add the 251st Society to Dalhousie, um, there is an opportunity for people who are experiencing eco-anxiety no. or eco-grief to create a new society and do some meetups and some exercises together. And then there is also therapy. We would be remiss not to mention therapy. <laughs> yeah. something that is accessible to you. Um, we know that it's not always affordable or something that mm-hmm. you might feel comfortable with or have time to do. Um, But it can be a really helpful tool for dealing with generalized anxiety disorders, which can be exacerbated by climate anxiety and Mm -hmm. eco-grief. 
even if you don't feel like you have depression or anxiety, it is an incredible useful tool just to process really complicated feelings, even if it is just about the environment, where if you're having trouble just thinking things through about all of this and not just completely dissociating and going into avoidant behavior, like, I I think it's worth a shot, like, if, if you feel like it could help you. Absolutely. And any Gen Z or millennial will tell you that therapy is for everyone. Everybody should go to therapy. And I do want to say that as a Dalhousie student, you do have access to some counseling through the Student Health and Wellness Center. There, there are resources out there for you. It doesn't necessarily need to be out of pocket. And if you're worried about the Amazon, there's lots of nonprofits out there to help support and donate to if you feel the need to, to support them. So hopefully at least one of these resources will be helpful for you or at least gives you something to think about. Um, But let's talk about what's missing from resources, what's missing from our community, what's missing from our Mm -hmm. attitudes. Um, The one that I thought of, I mean, I know I've mentioned it earlier, but the library meetup groups um, as well as other community events they don't necessarily target eco-anxiety so if it is something that you're really struggling with it doesn't necessarily cater to your grief or your anxiety but Mm -hmm. it is something that can get your mind off of your stress when we were doing research for this episode we did find that it was a little difficult to find statistics we found that it was difficult to look into what exactly eco-anxiety means Um, so I did do a brief google search as any good researcher would do that would be their first step and the first question that came up for me was is eco-anxiety or eco-grief in the DSM-5 Um, So the DSM-5 is a Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, and it actually isn't. It's not classified as a mental disorder. Do we think that that's going to change over the next couple years as we are experiencing more climate-related disasters? I think so. Like, it's difficult to discern if they go hand-in-hand, if they are one and the same, or if they're completely separate. I think... There's just not quite enough out there to really pinpoint if it should be by itself. Because, like... Or just a symptom of a generalized anxiety disorder. I find that it can, like, general anxieties or depression can be exacerbated, can be made worse with doom and gloom of the environment. And so I think that there's room for both to exist and there's also room for them to exist individually. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a matter of if the psychological community deems it separate enough for it to be something diagnosable. Right. One of the other questions that I came across um, is how do I know if I have a eco-anxiety? And my personal opinion is if you're if you have to Google if you have eco-anxiety, you probably have it. <laughs> yeah, if you're really worried and you're like, oh, am I freaking out too much? It's not a you're freaking out too much. It's a very normal and human reaction to be worried about all of this. 
Right. But if you're Googling it, that's a good indicator that you might be. And then the next one is fairly similar. um, But how common is eco-anxiety? And I know we've Hmm. mentioned this a couple of times, but I think that it's going to become a lot more common, especially as people are talking about it more in school. Sustainability Mm -hmm. is being implemented more into business practices. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's going to change the way that we feel about our environment. I think it's a double-pronged question because on one hand, it's about how much are we talking about the issue? And then on the other hand, it's how much are we helping others to process all of that like how we mentioned when the climate crisis became like really prevalent in the news like the way we talk about things can just make people incredibly anxious but are we also trying to communicate that in a way and teach people about it so then it doesn't have to result in all in a bunch of anxiety where so I think it's that double-pronged where how much we're talking about it making people anxious but also are we implementing ways to help people cope with all that kind of anxiety right does that make sense totally okay (laughs) and the final question that was in the top most googled is is eco anxiety and grief normal and i think both of us would agree that it's completely normal if you're a student um in any age and you're talking Mm -hmm. about climate or the environment, um, or you're just experiencing natural disasters that Mm -hmm. are happening, like the hurricane that we had a couple of months ago, it's normal, and it's okay to feel anxious. Those feelings, at the end of the day, what it's telling you is that you have a full and complete understanding of what is happening. And so... I would be floored if somebody immediately just did not care and had no questions or was or wasn't worried like it's a very normal thing to be like oh no (laughs) yeah however if this feeling of eco-anxiety and grief are taking over and you or someone you know are struggling with your mental health please reach out The Canadian Mental Health Association crisis line is 1-833-456-4566, or you can text 45645. And if you're worried about plastic ocean, I would recommend looking up the Ocean Cleanup Project. And if you're worried about rainforests in the Amazon, there's a lot of nonprofits out there that you can support that are fighting for the Amazon and that are doing work on the ground. And we know this episode wasn't the most uplifting, but that's part of what the sussed. We are looking at all things sustainability, all aspects of it, and some of it is not always that positive. Um, But thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at whatthesuspod. And as always, if you have comments or thoughts about today's episode, we would love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And if at any point we've made you feel incredibly anxious, we apologize.